Hey, everybody. This week's gratitude moment is deeply personal uh, to everybody that we ran into at Skisha, the South Carolina Speech-Language Hearing Association, this past week at convention. I want with my whole heart to say thank you for your love and support because not sure if you noticed, we definitely had a goose and bear in tow to convention because working mom probs, uh, my husband had a business trip out of state and... And, you know, when everybody you use at a babysitter is a speech pathologist and they're at the state convention, you bring your children in tow. So thank you so very, very much for y'all's absolute love and support. While, you know, I got to be a speech pathologist and a wife and a mom and it just... Thank you. The boys had the absolute best time, and to everybody who participated in the Praxis Bowl, Goose thought that was like the highlight. Bear's favorite part was the pool. So, you know, it's about the balance. (laughs) Okay, but on that note, today's guest is Dr. Kia Johnson, and I am honored to have her on. But also, uh, keeping with the convention theme, can I just say that I am so excited to see her in person for the Embosla Convention. April 20th through 22nd in Washington, D.C. So I hope, I hope, I hope that y'all get an opportunity to actually come up and join us there. And Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for coming on today. And everybody at Skisha, whoop, whoop, it was amazing. Thanks, y'all. Hi, folks, and welcome to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional, a speech therapy podcast sponsored by SpeechTherapyPD.com. I am your host on this nerd venture, Michelle Dawson, MS, CCC, SLP, CLC, the all things PEDS SLP. I am a colleague in the trenches of home health early intervention right there with you. I run my own private practice, Heartwood Speech Therapy, here in Town, South Carolina, and I guest lecture nationwide on best practices for early intervention for the medically complex and fragile child. First Bite's mission is short and sweet, to bring light, hope, knowledge, and joy to the pediatric clinician, parent, or advocate. By way of a nerdy conversation, so there's plenty of laughter too. In this podcast, we cover everything from AAC to breastfeeding, ethics on how to run a private practice, pediatric dysphagia to clinical supervision, and all other topics in the world of pediatric speech pathology. Our goal is to bring evidence-based practice straight to you by interviewing subject matter experts to break down the communication barriers so that we can access the knowledge of their fields. Or, as a close friend says, to build the bridge. By bringing other professionals and experts in our field together, we hope to spark advocacy joy and passion for continuing to grow and advance care for our little ones. Every fourth episode, I join in. I'm Erin Forward, MSP, CCC, SLP, the Yankee by way of Rochester, New York transplant who actually inspired this journey. I bring a different perspective, that of a newish clinician with experience in early intervention, pediatric acute care, and nonprofit pediatric outpatient settings. So sit back, relax, and watch out for all our squirrels and enjoy this geeky gig brought to you by SpeechTherapyPD.com. You are going to make me get teary-eyed. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, every time I see you, we run into each other at ASHA. We say hi for 0.2 seconds or we wave across the room, but it's like that moment where you just connect and you're like, there's a good human but I think you helped that happen because you are a good human. So when you talk to people who are just, you know, good, your heart is in the right place, your your energy just just exudes from you, it makes it really easy. So I'm excited to be here and yeah, full circle, completely full circle. Full circle. Okay. So 
For those of you that didn't catch her last time she came on, we recorded in the fall of 2019. Late, it was like late winter, about the same time. Also, heads up, it's totally December 1st, and we're recording for this episode on February 7th. But like, so reiteration. And then when the episode aired in February of 2020, what we didn't know was that the whole world was going to shut down. And again, you can blame my husband for that because I took took him to a ballet on Friday the 13th of March. And I think that's what broke the world. <laughs> so, like, Because I thought last night, mm-hmm. man, I should probably look at when is the last time we talked and what did I say? Did I say something <laughs> important or not? And I didn't listen to it. And this morning I said, I really have to figure this out. And so that's when I realized and I said, man, that is so cool and crazy and Weird all at the same time, full circle, completely. full circle, full circle. And, and folks, professionally, for Dr. Kia Johnson, who y'all need to do the Google and follow her on LinkedIn and support all of her projects. When we did this first recording, you were just starting on the board with Embosla. In 2019, I was in a traditional faculty position at University of Houston had just gone through a very interesting tenure process, earning tenure. And then I had just become chair of Embosla for about, I don't know, maybe six months. It had started that August, hadn't started on the ASHA board of directors. This is so crazy because when I gave you my bio then, I said, based on it, this podcast going out in February, please make sure you add the ASHA board of directors. And now- my term on the ASHA Board of Directors ends in 30 days. And my bio I gave you, I said, please, you know, insert the Board of Ethics is the the board I'm rolling onto in January. And so it's just, it's just completely full circle. And for in Basla, you can serve as chair for two terms, two years each term. And when we first met, I was starting my first term and now I am ending my second term. So this is just complete full circle and thinking about how Embosla was or what Embosla looked like when we first met compared to where we are now, it's completely different in so many ways. Okay. So I just want to recap that everything you just said is volunteer work and being a leader. Folks, when we talk about how our profession, you are Asha, you are Embosla. It is up to us. When you're called to serve, it's hard. It's not easy. People are quick to lay blame and you catch it and you carry it. But when you lead with joy and you can drive change, it's awesome to see the ripple effect of positivity. And that's literally what you have done. So can you take us through the beginning and kind of talk about what Embosla is and like the history? <laughs> and before I do that, I do want to just touch on that leadership piece because it's so important for your listeners to know that in order for change to happen, we have to be willing to say, what can I do in addition to what we already do? So in addition to my job, in addition to my family, my, my kids, my my partner, what, what can I also add on top of that in order to make change? And all of the things that we do in this profession when it comes to volunteerism, you it, it comes from a place of wanting to make change or or further an association moving to the next level. And like you said, I mean, it's not all roses and rainbows, you know, um, (laughs) I'm sorry. You ask any past president of any association and they're going to be like, damn, we did it. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. I was the one who, when I retire, go, yep, I was there. And yes, COVID, yes, made it. But me, I really do have a heart of wanting to serve and play my part in moving the profession forward. Whatever I can offer to make the profession better than I found it, that's what I want to do. So whether it be through ASHA, through National NISLA, through NWASLA, there's always a place for that. 
So just want to put that out there. Anybody's thinking, you know, I don't know if I can do leadership. Believe me, there is a role for you somewhere within this profession. And I hope that you actively seek it out. So thinking about going back to Mbazla, what I love is that um, we are really highlighting the fact that we have been around since 1978. It's interesting, 2020 happened and people would say, oh my gosh, so you all were just created. Wow. Like love how you all just started. And I'm going, no, we've been around since 1978. So, but then it just goes to being responsive. So that made us realize let's use this moment to really um, magnify the history of Embosla so people know how we got started and how long we've been around and the impact that we have had as an association on the profession. You know, um, ASHA, even working with ASHA so that they uh, sort of corroborated the story of how Office of Multicultural Affairs got started because of Embosla, things like that. You I know, didn't know that. Yes, it's, um, and I, you're going to probably quote me on the history now. So back in the day when um, there were some years back, there was an ASHA convention. Oh gosh, I want to say somewhere in the Northwest um, ASHA convention where a lot of the pioneers of Mbosla went to that convention. And there was a meeting where there was a big discussion about, about dialect, about African-American vernacular English. Um, Orlando Taylor was there. Um, some other people were there. So if somebody's going, well, they didn't call my name. Just go with me. <laughs> we're but, moms first, dude. We need but, more coffee. <laughs> but in that meeting, really the pioneers of Mbosla really raising the awareness to dialect and being different from slang and then motivating ASHA to create a an entity within the association that really addressed those types of cultural differences within communication. And a lot of people don't realize that. But 2020 gave us the motivation to highlight the history of Mbosla and, and really going into that, thinking about how prominent leaders within the ASHA Association had their start in Mbosla. You know, I, I think that's a, it's just important 2020 definitely changed uh, changed in Basla. I will say 2020. I was um, I say there are two pandemics. There was the COVID, and I think uh, increased awareness to racial injustices within the profession and our society. And I, those two things together really made some critical shifts for yes. in Basla and so for our world. Yes. 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 Yeah. And um, like thinking about COVID, for example, in Basla before 2020, our big thing was the convention. Everybody knew annually in Basla does a convention. That was kind of about it, the convention. But then 2020 happened. We said, okay, we have to cancel our in-person convention. What do we do instead? And with the increased awareness of racial injustices, how can we address that as well? So then we made a critical shift to create Embosla Talks, which is our virtual platform now, where we highlight different topics, different speakers. We we um, stream it to social media, and we have had some very interesting Embosla Talks uh, sessions that really would not have happened, I do not think, had we not had 2020. Um, so one of the sessions, for example, we highlighted, we had all of our pioneers uh, come together, Orlando Taylor, Eugene Wiggins, uh, a lot of the people who started in Basla came together to talk about what it was like to create in Basla. We would never have done that had 2020 happened. Y'all, I'm like totally listening to everything she's saying and I'm checking out their website and it is nbaslh.org. And they also have a fabulous Instagram account as well. So do yourself a solid, do not do this in drive, but pull it up. Yes. yes. And I'll say a lot of our Embosla talks can be streamed on our Facebook page too. We report them and try to keep them there, but doing things that focus on males in the profession, audiology, uh, that was one of the things that really changed in Basla, had our first ever virtual convention. We have never had a virtual anything before 2020. And then to do a virtual convention, and it was successful. 
Um, what else did we change? We have an in-person or had an in-person SLP exam review course. So those people who are preparing to take the practice exam has always had a review course that has been going on at least since 2000, if not before, well before then, for years. And in Basla decided to go virtual with that because of 2020. And now we're able to reach more students or more individuals preparing to take the praxis than ever before. And we would not have done that. I know I'm telling our business, but... <laughs> For years, there was always a discussion. Let's take this review course virtual. Let's take it virtual. And how do we do that? I don't know if it's going to be, what is going to, how would it, 2020 happen? And we were like, let's get it done. And we got it done. And I just, I just love, I just love that. We, um, so I'm shifting back and forth between COVID and racial injustice, but we had people then showcasing us on social media going, did you know that there is the National Black Association for Speech, Language, and Hearing? Did you know they have a journal? Did you know? And people were just resharing, retweeting, um, and and becoming members. Um, then came sponsors and exhibitors. And I'm just going, wow, this is happening. And, um, and I never would have imagined 2020 changed 2020 changed in Basla. Before 2020, we've always hovered around 400 to 600 members. Um, and we, I'm proud to say we are about 15 members away from 1,000 members for the first time ever in the history of Basla. That is amazing. And also, folks, they have different membership levels. Yes. So if you're a student and you're listening, there's a student membership for only $35 a year. And if you're a first-year professional, so folks, if you're in your like first CF, um, there's a one-time discount of $25 off the initial dues and fees of $100. I'll be, I'm your, you like, I'm your ad chick. I'm your wing, wing person over here. <laughs> and I'll say like our Embosla, Embosla has always been the place for mentorship for our students. So when we think about the mission, um, meets the needs of Black students, Black professionals, and the individuals we serve. Now, something we always get the question of, do you know what our number one question is? that people ask us, do you have to be Black to be a member? We get that question over and over again. And what I will say is the answer is no. You just have to believe in the mission. You know, we have members who are not Black, but they work with a lot of Black students or in the Black community. And you just want to make sure that you're providing culturally responsive service delivery, culturally responsive mentorship. So we have members who are Black, and we also have members who are not Black. We have a life membership category where you have to be a member of Embosla for 20 plus years and be over the age of 65. We have Black life members and we have non-Black life members. That means if anybody's doing the math, we have members who are not black, but have been um, but have been a member of Embosler for years. And I didn't know that. Yeah, like I'm a member of Hispanic Caucus because I have a passion for bilingual stuttering research. So what better way to know about what's going on in that culture and that community than by being connected with Hispanic Caucus. So I also will put a shout out if people, do people just still do shouts out, shout yes, outs? Yes, <laughs> love it. Um, looking at ASHA's multicultural constituency groups. So in Basla is considered a multicultural constituency group of ASHA. However, we are the only MCCG that is its own separate independent association. Um, some things that I also want to can I can I can I insert one bit of joyful news? Yes. Um, folks, what y'all don't know is that for the last two or three months behind the scenes, I have been working with the Office of Multicultural Affairs to network so that through all of 2023, we are going to be interviewing, the goal is every single one of those individual caucuses. 
That is awesome. Yes. So we're all so cool. They're, they're so cool. So we actually have Sophia, the current president of the Hispanic Caucus. Her interview should be coming out the end of March or the beginning of April. I didn't know there were other caucuses until. Um, I went to the topic chair for Boston for convention planning. And then I was like, wait, we have other, what? I had no idea. And I was like, if I don't know, then like, I mean, I'm sure there's lots of people that don't know because, but I'm, I'm willing to ask the question. So like, here we are, but yes, yes. So good news. They're coming folks. They're coming. That is awesome. And there is a wide range. Like I think the newest caucus is disability caucus. And uh, there's a wide range of caucuses. So I encourage people to check those out because that's where you really get more fine-tuned um, connection with different cultural groups within our profession. And I just love it. Um, let's see. I was going to mention um, in Boslin Neighbors is a new initiative that we have. I just love it. It's my baby. It's my baby. So this actually stemmed from, um, there uh, was a, or is, or was a, um, a black male graduate student, in a predominantly white institution who was, um, who died under very interesting circumstances. Yes. And um, what concerned me was that, no one within in Basla knew him and we didn't know he was at the school. Like we weren't connected with him in a way to be able to provide any support to him. Um, and so no one really knew him. And so then it had me thinking about what other programs have one or a couple black students that we don't know about and aren't able to provide support to. So we developed in Basla Neighbors. This is the first year of it. So once a month, um, students who identify as Black or African American in CSD programs at any level get together on Zoom and we make sure they know what state or cities they are in so that they can connect with each other so they can know, hey, I have an in Basla neighbor down the street at another university or an in Basla neighbor on a state over from me. So you don't feel so alone. It's like you're creating your cultural community um, virtually. So that happens every third Sunday. So if anyone is listening and you have a Black student somewhere, you know of one, send them our way. We have about 60 plus students signed up. And um, and that's important to Mbosla because we've always been um, a heavy student association because we know that it's important. So 38% of our membership um, are students. And and, and that's, it's just an amazing place to be. I've been a member since I was a grad student. I have like three immediate thought processes. This needs to get to the state association presidents so that they can disseminate it to the university leaders. And so, and this would be a killer talk for CSAP and for CAPSID. So since you mentioned that, I will give a shout out to uh, CAPSID. They have agreed to uh, disseminate the Embosla Neighbors information to all of their members. So thank you. If any of them are listening, we really appreciate that because that helps to get, you know, the research says retention, recruitment and retention of graduate students of that are culturally diverse, mentorship and support and community plays a huge role in that. So CAPSID has, um, is sending that out and I'll be attending CAPSID again. I gave the keynote last CAPSID. Oh my gosh. It was, it was a, a nerve wracking, but I did it. And, um, and I'll be going back to CAPSID this year to do a pre-convention workshop. So wait, folks, if you don't know what CAPSID is, help yeah. me. <laughs> Council of Academic, Academic Programs and CSD. Yes. Yes. So um, it's where all of the professors get together to learn about professory things. And that's the great thing about leadership because it gives you the platform to make change. So I'm in, in Basla as a leader, but then able to go to Capsid and really talk about things that programs need to consider if we're wanting to recruit and retain graduate students who are underrepresented in our, in our profession. And, you know, like last year, being able to have the ear of different programs across the nation about things they need to think about when it comes to inclusivity and equity, 
you know, equity is so equity is so important. Um, but I think our profession is really good at equality. We understand equality. Everybody gets the same syllabus, the same materials, same lecture. But equity really makes the difference. And and so to be able to use my leadership platform to talk to programs about equity at the graduate level or undergrad level, that has just that's what gives me those warm and fuzzies of making it all worth it. All of the blood, sweat, and tears, or the literally, the, yes, right, literally. <laughs> those, but those are the moments that make it worth it. Um, you know, I think about those students who are going to come behind me. You know, I went to a predominantly white institution for undergrad. Um, my PhD at a predominantly white institution. I know what it feels like. Um, shout out to Howard. I did do my master's at a HBCU. Um, but I know what it feels like. And if I can make a difference for those that come after me, but I also want to be clear too, as leaders, we make a difference for everybody, you know, so thinking about the school-based SLP, thinking about the audiologist, that's one of the things that has changed in Mbosla. We, our strategic plan included the increase of audiology in our profession, before 2020, that's how we think of it, like before Christ and after Christ. <laughs> yeah. before COVID and after COVID. Pre-COVID, post-COVID. <laughs> we had roughly about four professional members on our roster that identified as audiologists. And so we said we need to change that because we know there are Black audiology students who need someone to look up to, who looks like them. But we also realize there are sprinkles of Black audiologists out there who need to see each other. So we made a concerted effort to increase the presence of audiology by designating one seat on the board for a professional audiology member, creating a student representative in audiology. We've always had a student representative, but they tend to be SLP. So now we have two, one in SLP and one in audiology. And making sure we have, through Mbosla Talks and the convention, designated content that speaks to audiology. And the last I checked, we have almost 30 audiology professional members now. So I'm going, you know, those are the things that make you feel good, you know? So that's th- that is 30 lives that you have quantifiably touched. And I, and I will say that those are the things. So then I think... 30 plus lives that are able to see each other and have their community, but then the students that we will never meet who have not even decided about, you know, I want to be an audiologist, somewhere down the line will decide. They will now have a place that has a stronger representation of And um, I don't know. I just, I you love have taught You have taught a man how to fish. Yes, 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 yes. And, and I will say, um, shout out to the Mbosla board. The board right now, I will say we, we used to have two meetings a year before, before COVID, <laughs> two meetings a year. And then when everything happened in 2020, COVID, the murder of George Floyd, the, I say, pulling the blanket off of the issues of racism within our profession, the board shifted. We went to meeting monthly. Okay, what do we need to do now? What decisions need to be made? Um, how is this impacting the profession? What? How is this impacting the association? What do our members need? And the board just came with idea after idea, executing it. And it was awesome because as a leader, you need people, those of you listening, we are ASHA, we are in Basla. In order for us to do, we need people who are willing to do the work that needs to be done. If you're listening to it and you're feeling it in your soul, don't immediately assume it's going to become all-consuming. It You can volunteer and tithe of your time and you can say, this is what I can give. Like, this is what I can do. And honestly... I feel like the podcast is how I tithe of my time because I can create a platform and an opportunity for 
someone else's light and voice and message to come through and it goes out for whoever needs to hear it in that moment in time. And, and that's, that's how we can, that's how I can all through this lovely little phallus shaped microphone that my husband teases me about. <laughs> I had to add a penis joke because I was getting too misled. <laughs> I always think about leadership development. One of the things that I do as a leader is when someone comes to me and says, I want to do something. I just don't know if I have the time or what I want to do. I truly believe in placing people in areas where they have the skill set or the passion. And then we'll figure the rest out. Yes. Um, you know, telling people, if you told me, look, I don't have a lot of time, but I want to do something and here are my strengths. I am going to find some options for you and say, here are some things that Mbosla needs. Tell me what appeases you. Like, tell me what makes you get more. I can do that. Yes. Yes. And let's go that route. I think sometimes leaders will tell people, Michelle, I want you to do this. I want you to do that. I think it's better if you have people serve where they have a passion or an area where I want to get better at this, then let's figure out how we can help you get better at that while you're volunteering. You know, this is something that we talk about with our sons. I am hypersensitive to being a white female in the South raising white males. And if you ask either one of my bubbies, they will tell you that they are feminist because they are. And <laughs> to the point that sometimes, because we also don't have filters in our family, that when we're in public and they hear certain things, they're like, mom, he is making a sexist decision. And I'm like, shh, we don't say that out loud. <laughs> so like we're working. <laughs> but the fact that they can identify that. I oh, good. Yes, 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 we have. But again, <laughs> Our, our family is neurodiverse, so social skills delivery is something that we're working on. But but I say that because I also know that my husband is a leader. He was taught leadership skills. Christian went to West Point, so he was. This was bread and butter, and and but that's just it. He had to be taught. I had to be taught. We have to continue to be taught how to be a good leader, how to recognize a strength in our colleagues and our students that they don't yet recognize within themselves. And and personally, I went through the ASHA Leadership Development Program and that jump-started my knowledge of leadership skills. But I know y'all have, you can speak to that development as well. So it's interesting. You talk about how you are teaching that to your children and how you went through um, the leadership development program. I think about the basic question of if, if parents aren't teaching it, or if those types of programs like Leadership Development Program or an ASHA Minority Student Leadership Program, if you don't participate in those, where do students, um, career professionals, where do you learn it? Um, and so it makes me just think that we have to continue thinking about ways to incorporate that type of knowledge and any interaction we we have. So even as a professor, if I'm teaching a class, how can I incorporate something about leadership um, in, in my coursework? But yes, I did the Minority Student Leadership Program, and I truly cannot say enough about the program. Uh, I don't know if LDP is as as intense as MSLP is in the yes. Wait, well, look, no, I'll say this. In the sense of the MSLP community, alumni community, is so strong. So if you meet someone and you say, I'm I'm MSLP alum, first question we're gonna ask is what year? <laughs> yes, that's what we do. <laughs> like, but when did you graduate? <laughs> so, you know, going through that program, especially MSLP being able to see other students, because if anyone's listening, Minority Student Leadership Program, it is an ASHA program where, pre-COVID, you applied. 
And then you go to the convention and while everyone else is doing traditional ASHA convention stuff, MSLP, that class is uh, going to ASHA committee meetings, uh, going to ASHA council meetings, uh, working on presentation skills, working on just leadership um, skills, uh, working on networking skills, and you walk away feeling like a more empowered student leader that's able to see yourself as a professional leader in the future. So, so I, I did that and I truly think it's an amazing opportunity. I walked away from there thinking, yes, I could do Asha leadership. Yes, I can do Mbazla leadership. And, and you are. Right, and right. you are. But that was like, so I was class of 2006. So shout out. We, here's a funny thing, Michelle, and I'm going to say this on record. Um, the class of 2006 of MSLP, we have this certain sense of feeling like we are the best <laughs> class. It's it's very um we yeah we have a strong opinion about that. But when I did that program, I was thinking, you know what, I could do leadership in the profession. But that was years ago, and I never knew how that would be manifested. So then looking at you know, some years progressing and feeling like, okay, great, I'm going to join the Embosla Board of Directors. And then feeling like some time passes, you know what, I could chair this. I I could be, so if anyone's listening, Embosla does not have a president, you have a chair of the Board of Directors. And so I thought, you know, I could do this. So becoming chair, then someone saying, so doing some ASHA leadership, I was the Texas state representative on the ASHA SLP Advisory Council, that's now called the Committee of Ambassadors. So I'm doing that. And someone said, have you ever thought about being national advisor to National NISLA? And I'm going, nope, never thought about that. But I love working with students. I love talking with students about professional development, um, their brand, leadership skills, things like that. And I'm going, wow, you know, that could be interesting. And uh, Michelle, I'll tell you this. I told them when they asked me about doing National NISLA, I said diversifying National NISLA would be my priority because I know what it felt like when I was a student. And I don't want anyone to feel that way. So that would be my priority. And if that is not what you all want, then just let me know I'm just not the person for the job. And I was selected. So that meant, Michelle, I was facing Mbazla chair, national advisor. And when you're national advisor, you are automatically then on the ASHA board of directors. So then I found myself in 2019 going, I'm about to do three leader, major leadership roles and three different associations. Okay, wait, how old were your children? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> so my son would have been maybe eight. Oh God, that's still, you got to make sure the seat's down, toilets, wipe stage. Yes. Okay. Yes, if my daughter was six, but it's pre-COVID because then I'm thinking, you know, in Bosler just has convention. <laughs> Asha has four meetings a year. So I thought I had a full understanding of what my responsibilities were going to be. And then 2020 happened and everything that I thought I knew about what those roles would be changed completely. But for anyone listening, I do identify as Christian and I truly believe that nothing happens by chance. I truly believe that my higher power put me in those leadership places at the same time, for as, like the Bible says, for such a time as this. 2020 happened, being in those roles, National Advisor, ASHA Board of Directors, and Bosla Chair, being able to sit at those different tables with my different perspectives, that I really felt like it helped the conversations happen a little easier across associations. It helped in Basla be at the table, as we say, in those different conversations. It helped National Nisla with, okay, 
you know, Dr. J, what do we do? What should we be thinking about? You know, ashes, same types of things. You know, how can we connect? What should we be doing? I really feel like, and I won't say the person's name, but there's someone who I consider to be a good friend and mentor who said, Kia, I think that you are here in these three positions at the same time for a reason. I truly agree. I do think it happened. Yeah, I don't know how to say it. I don't know how to explain it. Like to be in those three positions at the same time during George Floyd. During the 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 first draft of the the Ash of Racism statement and the second oh. draft, you know, <laughs> Nisla's and Nisla does not do position statements, but Nisla's Instagram social media post, and then you know even how you talked about presidents through <laughs> COVID or 2020, we had this little circle um, where I'm talking to the Capsid president, talking to Asha president. We're like, hey, are y'all okay? Are you, what are y'all doing? thinking about canceling our convention. What are y'all like having that support and going through that? I just think that God put me in that those three roles at the same time because 2020 was happening. If that makes any sense. It makes perfect sense, which is why I went and got a tissue, but yes. And I'm probably going to make you cry more. The student I talked about who I, I believe was murdered, um, Jelani Day, who, um, was a graduate student at Illinois State. When um, so in Basel, if anyone's listening, cultural tip: um, when someone passes away, and Basla does recognize the the cultural tradition in our um, culture to do a resolution. Do you know what resolutions are? So resolutions at the funeral, um, if a person when a person passes away different aspects of that person's life may present the family with a resolution. So um, like in Basla could give a resolution if we have a prominent member who passes away and it'll say, it'll just talk about their service to the association and how we recognize their service and are presenting this resolution to the family. So that is a pretty traditional black cultural funeral thing. So in Basla does that when someone passes away. So when the student passed away um, in Basla decided to do a resolution. And what I love being in three roles at the same time, I went to National Nisla. He was a student. And I said, in Basla is going to do a resolution at the funeral, recognizing the student. Would you all like to be included? I also went to Asha and said, and Bosla's doing this, would you all like to be included? And usually in any cross associations, there's, you know, you have to have a meeting about the meeting and have a meeting and bring people together, decide if you're going to do it. In that instance, everyone said, absolutely, please include us, represent us. And to me, it was one of those moments of being in that role in three different associations made that conversation easier. So then I was able to go to the service and say, I'm representing in Basla. I'm representing ASHA. I'm representing National Nisla. And this is what we want, the resolution we want to present to the family. Like those are the things that I think had I not been in that place at the same time, I'm, it, it could have still been done. It just may have been a little harder. Who knows? But to stand there and be able to say, I'm representing 200,000 plus members of ASHA. I'm representing 11,000 plus members of National NISLA. I'm representing 800 plus members of Mbazla. At that same time, that was just, I don't know. Yes, 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 yes. So things things are going well. Things are, Mbazla is, Mbazla is doing well. Mbazla is, as we say, at the table. Um, 2020 universities calling, asking for us to come talk about in Basla, talk about what we do. Um, we have chapters, we call them affiliates. Prior to COVID, we had maybe about seven affiliates or so. And post-COVID, now we have, I think 
almost 20 affiliates. We now have university affiliates. This is one thing that I think is super interesting. It used to be that universities would say, we have National Nisla. We have a Nisla chapter. We don't need, why would we need an Imbosla chapter if we have a Nisla chapter? And then I would, we would, I wouldn't, but you know, in Basel would have to explain that the, the need is similar, but different. The support provided is similar, but different. Um, and then 2020 happened. We have literally programs saying we want an Imbosla affiliate at our university. They have a Nisla chapter, but they're saying we want both. And I'm just going to me is so amazing that we have gotten to the place where universities now see the rationale of having an Imbosla affiliate, student affiliate in their program and a Nisla affiliate in their program. I'm thinking about one former student of mine in particular who um, I served as the coordinator for clinical education um, and adjunct or, um, and clinical faculty at Francis Marion University. Um, and I also, while I was doing that, would have practicums, right? Um, and one of my students, I had her in class, but I also had her for like a month long, like, well, it was a summer long um, um, practicum as well. And I know that she's doing the minority student leadership program. She would be, and she graduates soon, but she would be the perfect person to help set that up. So who do they reach out to at National and Basla to create an affiliate program? Is that the student or should that be a faculty member? So the great thing on our website, embasla.org, there is an affiliate tab. And on the affiliate tab, uh, there's a handbook, how-to, Q&A, everything you would need to know to start an affiliate is there. The great oh, thing right about, here. Yeah, the great thing about university affiliates is even easier because they basically are established as a university organization or a university group. So a student group at on campus. And so students get together and they have, um, they create their, they get the handbook and they create their affiliate. And I love seeing their work. So if any of them are listening, I follow them on Instagram. So different universities will have their uh, and Basla affiliate Instagram pages. And I'll see them doing, you know, community service, uh, doing some networking events. And I just think it's amazing to, to see that. I'm sure our founders of Basla would be proud to see the outreach that's happening from the association. I'm literally texting this to the chair right now. So Dr. Burns, if you're listening, that's- oh, I Frances Burns. I know her. Hi, Frances, if you're listening. <laughs> I love her. I, yeah. She's amazing. Yeah. Um, I think it's just, it's just awesome uh, to be able to do community outreach at the national level through Imbosla Cares and- to have it at the student level. Uh, we have an, a mentoring program. So ASHA, of course, has a STEP um, program for students. It has LDP, uh, the Leadership Development Program. And then there's a Minority Student Leadership um, Program. Uh, and Basla has a Power to Empower mentoring program. So if anyone is out there and you are looking for leadership development or you are and or looking for mentorship, the resources are out there, and I strongly encourage you to consider um, opportunities that help to pour into you personally and professionally. You know, to be able to think about my mentoring list of people within the profession, I met them at a convention. I met them through an association, um, being in spaces where they are, and that has helped me be the leader that I am today. Also, when you're on this side of it and you serve as a mentor, we have to take it further. We also have to become sponsors. And, and that is the difference is I may mentor an individual behind the scenes, but when I become a sponsor, I speak their name in a room of opportunity when they otherwise may be overlooked and that is my job to do. I mean, not officially on anybody's paper, but 
I have you, um, do, Malcolm Gladwell. Do you read any of his books? No, I wish I had. I have a stack of books that I just want to read. Oh, uh, in my spare time. <laughs> Well, right now I'm on a really big Agatha Christie kick and like, I'm just murdering everybody and resolving it through, um, Hercules, Poiré, I can't, he's French, I can't read it, but like, I love them. It's so cool. Cause you're like, how did he do it? He's dead. But I mean, and, and in my head, I'm listening to like all these British accents, which I can't do, but anyways, ADHD back to the point, but like. Malcolm Gladwell talks about in one of his books, like the different personality traits and how there's this magpie personality trait whose job is to go and to connect people. And like that's I'm a really good magpie, like this the bird, because like I love, but that's what we do. And and also to be an ally, to make sure that our our students that identify from a non-white um, culture speak their names. Those colleagues speak their names. So, oh my gosh, everything you're saying is so so true. And and I'm jotting down notes because I will lose my point too. <laughs> I wish, do, you, do you see all of my papers <laughs> over here? <laughs> because these are the things that they feed your soul, but they don't go down for merit. You don't get for it. You don't get tenure for it, but you do it because it's the right thing to do. And you do it because somebody did it for you. Like you do it because you have a passion for it. Everything, like when you think about mentoring, volunteering, pouring into someone, we don't get anything extra for that. What I get, well, let me rephrase that. I don't get extra money for that, but I do get fed like spiritually and mentally, like I feel like I am doing my job. I always say when I leave this world and I'm no longer here, I want people to say Kia made a difference for someone. That's all that matters to me. So to me, you are a a dynamic person when you can pull somebody up with you. I never want to be a person who has climbed the ladder and has not brought anybody along with me or has not thought about how can I help the next person get to the next you know, step on that ladder. It's, it made me think of this sticker right here. I know your viewers can't see it, but I'm going to read it. It says, be the woman who fixes another woman's crown without telling the world it was crooked. Like, how can we do things that help to pull somebody up without making it about us. It's not about me. You know, so when I'm going to an event or, you know, how can I take a student with me or take an early career professional with me? Or when opportunities come up, you know, I, I've done some amazing things in my profession. How can, is there someone else I could give that opportunity to? Like, I'm very excited, not that my term is ending, but maybe the next time you reach out and say you want to do an in Basla, you know, Focus podcast, our chair elect, Brittany Hightower, who, if she's listening, she would be that next person. You know, how can you give opportunities to people? And and I just think that is so important. So if anyone is listening, I just hope that speaks speaks to your audience in some way, because um, I think it's important. The big questions to roll us out or to conclude us for the, um, for the episode, but where where is it going? Who's who's going to take Mbosla forward and where is Mbosla going next? I I think for Mbosla, we have been doing a great job of cultivating leaders. So I am truly confident in the capable hands of the incoming chair elect and the board uh, that will continue moving in Basel forward with their energy. We have an amazing, amazing operations director um, who handles the logistics side of things. We have a goal. Uh, like I said earlier, we're so close to 1,000 members for the first time ever in history. We are coming up on our 45th convention in Basel Convention happening in April. Every five years, we go to D.C., for our milestone convention. So this is our 45th convention in DC. I would love to be able to say that in Basla is at 1000 members. We, at that time, we are inviting our pioneers back and I would love for them to be able to see 
the the fruit of their labor um, within Mbazla. Um, we have some dynamic things on the horizon that I can't get too specific to, but when it comes to um, making sure that individuals have access to uh, cultural, responsive content that is in a formal ma- uh, manner, uh, thinking about Mbazla for that. So I truly see us continuing to move towards um, just fulfilling our mission and being that premier association for cultural responsive content as it relates to our profession. I'm just thinking it's in April 2023 in Washington, D.C.? Yes. So by the time this comes out, registration would be open, but call for papers would be closed. Um, but if you think of Mbazla as you definitely have CEUs and content that is geared towards culturally and linguistically diverse communities. If you're wanting to strengthen your knowledge in those areas, um, that was a great place to, to be. But there's also that that um, that vibe of community that is so so um, threaded through all of the convention. So it's an experience like no other. So I would invite you to come. It's my last convention as chair. I mean, my family's in Fredericksburg. They're just a hop, skip, and my brother has a house in Alexandria. So Uncle Ify, his name's Ethan. We call him. He he was in speech therapy because he couldn't say Ethan. He always said Ify, so it stuck. So um, Uncle Ify, uh, your big sister and me couch surf for a few days. <laughs> We have an opening session speaker who uh, does research in Gullah language. Um, Wait, is that Dr. Barry? No, um, I'll send you the the link. Okay. But he is a Harvard uh, professor um, who does Gullah Geechee language linguist type research. He's absolutely amazing. Yes, please, because that would be a phenomenal episode too. I'm like- When I tell you in Basel Convention is an experience like no other. So if you have not been, I strongly encourage you to come. If you're going, oh my gosh, do I need to be black to go? Please, oh y'all know. (laughs) (laughs) But it is so much fun. So um, so yeah, that's that's that happens in April. Awesome. Okay. Now, this is a very personal question, so please feel free if you don't want to respond. But what about you? Because you have you have made such a profound impact on so many lives in so many different areas of leadership. What what are you where are you going next, lady? The way I look at it is I always tell people that when I am no longer here, I want to feel like I've made a difference on the profession, a difference on the world, an impact on someone. And I do feel like being in these leadership roles, I have had a wonderful opportunity to have an impact on the profession, not only for current individuals in the profession, but those coming into the profession. And I want to keep that going. Like I really love having an opportunity to shape what the profession looks like. So all I can say is that I definitely, you know, as long as I am walking this earth, I will always look towards ways to make a difference in the profession. Um, so whatever that looks like, um, that is what I, that's what I want to do. I enjoy doing it. I enjoy leading. I enjoy molding um, the thing. I look at it like a, a relay. You know, when they pass the baton to you as a leader, it's your opportunity to make those laps and and make a difference during those laps to be able to hand it to the next person in a, in a better way than you found it. And that's really what I, I've loved doing that. And I definitely want to continue doing that. Unsolicited thought. It would be pretty phenomenal to have you break a ceiling of being the uh, youngest uh, ASHA president on record. So I'm going to go ahead and claim this in the universe because to have your energy and light lead us, I would be so grateful. I appreciate that. I do think that in our profession, we have to make sure that we're thinking about the current members and the future and making sure that we continue. And I think Ash is doing a phenomenal job at this, 
making sure that we continue our leadership reflecting our members. And that includes like generational too. You know, we have a wide range of members when it comes to different generations and being able to connect with all generations so that everyone feels heard, everyone feels connected, everyone sees that they are ASHA and being able to have that conversation or connection to be able to listen to what the needs are and understanding that our members who are on the more experienced, I'll say just experienced in. I say Botoxed in hair color, but okay. (laughs) So on who's in that their needs are being met and that they see themselves within ASHA, but also our early career professionals see themselves in ASHA. Our audiology, um, you know, audiology is one of those areas where in ASHA, just like other, you know, just like in Basla, people are like, well, there are not a lot of us. What, you know, why should I be here? I want our audiology members to see that it's more than just a certification. You know, there's a, there's a, a place for them, you know, school-based SLPs. I was in Baltimore City Public Schools. So, you know, I understand that the needs are different and I just think continuing to make sure that our leadership within the profession reflects the the, the wide gamut of, of members we have. One of my favorite questions at the end of every episode is um, if somebody has a little extra love money, because that's what my grandma called it. She would go, honey, you got any love money or a little bit of mad money left over? And I'm like, oh, we are going thrift store shopping today. (laughs) And then she'd always take us by some greasy cheeseburger joint and get a fried chicken sandwich and a vanilla milkshake. That was um, this is this is where um, my grandma raised me, and she was a child of the um, depression. So it was we always went thrift store shopping. I mean, it, probably not at some of the cleanest establishments. <laughs> These stickers uh-huh. I got from a used bookstore that we frequent <laughs> because you know, why? Why buy new books? <laughs> yes, Ed's editions in West Columbia. Dear Ed, thank you for your editions. Okay, but yes. But when it comes to what I'll say, um, and this is sort of a, a, a soft spot for me, within in Basla, we just established um, the um, Community of Black Excellence and Scholarship. So think of how ASHA has ASH Foundation um, that raises money for scholastic um, purposes. Um, in Basla is a 501c3. So we are able to do those types of fundraising within the association. So we've established the Community of Black Excellence and Scholarship, which is a mechanism to raise funds to endow in Basel scholarships. We are so appreciative of sponsors and the scholarships that they provide to in Basel. Um, but I think it's it's time for Basel to have its own. You know, it's time for Basel to have an Basel endowed scholarship. So you can go to inbasel.org and a tab says. Um, Community of Black Excellence, you can go there, you can see in Basla's plan to endow a scholarship for Black males in speech pathology, um, audiology students, and there are different donor levels. Now, I would strongly encourage love donations to go to those different levels because we will recognize them each year at the convention. But if you're like, look, I can't do that much, then there's a green button on the side that just says donate. You know, we we, we want to be able to support our students and, and do that from within this association rather than solely relying on, on sponsors. Although we appreciate our sponsors if any of them are listening. <laughs> I love that. Yes. All love donations are tax deductible. That piece is important. I just remember my grandma getting all the little um, inserts in the mailer come November, December. She'd get, because my granddaddy was a state trooper, so she'd get all the different like police organizations or, you know, the different, yes, they would all come through the mail. And we're Cherokee and we're Padawamic. So there's also like all the Native American ones that would come in. And I have a lot of blankets because the the ones that, so, yes, we have. You'll never get cold at Pack Dawson's house. Um, yes. <laughs> also, I'm going to feed everybody, but like there's that too. Um, okay. Thank you. Kia, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, folks, be sure to check out Mbazla's Instagram account because they keep everything updated. It's N-B-A-S-L-H. Um, that's their Instagram handle. They also have a Linktree account with upcoming events. Check out their Facebook page um, and, as always, their website. So, Kia, 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I cannot wait to watch your future. It's always, it's always a delight to talk with you. (laughs) I appreciate it. (laughs) Thank you. Feeding Matters guides system-wide changes by uniting caregivers, professionals, and community partners under the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Alliance. So what is this alliance? The Alliance is an open access collaborative community focused on achieving strategic goals within three focus areas, education, advocacy, and research. So who is the Alliance? It's you. The Alliance is open to any person passionate about improving care for children with a pediatric feeding disorder. To date, 187 professionals, caregivers, and partners have joined the Alliance. You can join today by visiting the Feeding Matters website at www.feedingmatters.org. Click on PFD Alliance tab and sign up today. Change is possible when we work together. That's a wrap, folks. Once again, thank you for listening to First Bite, fed, fun, and functional. I'm your humble but yet sassy host, Michelle Dawson, the All Things Peds SLP. This podcast is part of a course offered for continuing education through speechtherapypd.com. Please check out the website if you'd like to learn more about CEU opportunities for this episode, as well as the ones that are archived. And as always, remember, feed your mind, feed your soul, be kind, and feed those babies. So it's Michelle Dawson here, and I need to lay out my disclosure statements. So uh, if you ever wondered how bad my ADD, ADHD, and lack of sleep Monday through Monday actually is, well, here you go. These are my non-financial disclosure statements. I volunteer with Feeding Matters. I'm a former treasurer with the Council of State Association Presidents. I'm a past president with the South Carolina Speech Language Hearing Association. I am a current member of both ASHA and SCISHA. And for this year, for 2021, I volunteered for the Pediatric Feeding Disorder Planning Committee for the ASHA 2021 convention. My financial disclosures. All right. So I receive compensation for first bite presentations, as well as talking teletherapy and understanding dysphagia from speechtherapypd.com. I also receive royalties from speechtherapypd.com for ongoing webinars that I have on their website, as well as compensation from PESI Incorporate for a lecture course that a webinar that I have on their website as well. I am coordinator for clinical education and clinical assistant professor for the Masters of Speech Language Pathology program at Francis Marion University in Florence, South Carolina, for which I receive an annual salary. I also receive royalties from the sale of my book, Chasing the Swallow, Truth, Science, and Hope for Pediatric Feeding and Swallowing Disorders that I self-published and is available on Amazon. And I do receive royalties from the accompanying 13 and a half hour CEU for the book from speechtherapypd.com. So yeah, I stay pretty busy, but those are my financial and non-financial disclosures. If you ever have any questions, please feel free to reach out. All right. Thanks y'all. Bye. Bye.